Morning. Happy Sabbath. So good to see all of you. Boy, we got everything today, didn't we? Music, ministry moments, children's story. We covered all the bases. One last thing. Now, the topic of my sermon, if you read the sermon title, is why. Right? You see that? Why? Do you know where I'm going with this? I think you probably do. Why? Why, God, why? Why? You ever watch the news at night? Why? You ever follow the events of your day at the end of the at the end of the night and you look at your what happened during the day and the things that happened and wonder why? You know, most of the times we can answer the question why think bad things happen, why troubles happen. It's because we're sinful people and we live on a sinful world, right? And that pretty much can explain why most of the time. But there's sometimes where why you can't explain it. You know, I even get the starving kids in Africa. I get it. You know? We ravage the land. It doesn't grow crops anymore. We have wars. And then maybe we just don't feed them. We're too stingy. So I even get the starving kids on Africa, even though I've got to shut my eyes when I see it. But the things I don't get why is, why is a little kid that never did nothing to nobody get cancer? You know, Why? Those are some questions that you just there's just no answer for. So this sermon is kind of speaking to you. If you ever have any questions why, let's try to get to the, to the bottom of it. You know, this is the oldest question that was ever asked, is why. This is the first topic, I think, that uh, was written about in the Bible. If you go back to Job, which many consider the oldest book of the Bible... He was asking the question, why? Remember Job? There was a man in the land of Uz, Uz, I don't know how you pronounce it, whose name was Job. The man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and shunned evil. He even sacrificed offerings for his children in case they might have sinned. He was a good man, but he got wiped out. He had a lot of possessions. 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camel, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys. I ain't counting the males. He had a large household. He had seven sons, three daughters. But he got wiped out. And he asked God why. Now, we know the reason why, right? We know that God and Satan had a discussion, and God kind of set them up said, hey, have you ever noticed my friend, my servant Job? There is none like him on the earth, a blameless, an upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil. God kind of set him up, said, hey, Satan, you see this guy? Satan said, yeah, I see that guy. And he only follows you because you give him sheep, oxen. He said, you take that all away. He'll curse you. So the father says, go ahead. Everything you have is in his hand. Go ahead. But just don't touch his person. Take all his possessions. So Satan did. But Job didn't know. Didn't know why. 
man came along, the Sabians, a servant ran in. The Sabians have raided and took away all the donkeys and all the oxen, and they have killed all the servants by the edge of the sword. I alone have escaped. While he was still speaking, another servant ran in. The fire of God fell from heaven, burned up all the sheep and all the servants. Fire from where? Heaven? Who's doing this? Think about that. And then while he was still speaking, another one ran in and said, The Chaldeans formed three bands and they raided the camels and took them away and killed the servants by the edge of the sword. I, don't, I alone have, have escaped to tell you. And while he was still speaking, another one came in and said, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking in their oldest brother's house. And suddenly a great wind came up. And the house collapsed, killed all, the, all his sons, all his daughters. A wind. Insurance companies tell me that's an act of God nowadays. Who's doing this? And what does Job do? He lost everything. Bam! Bam, bam, bam. Lost everything. What does he say? Job arose, tore his robe, shaved his head, he fell to the ground, and he worshipped. Huh. He is a good man. And he says, Naked I came from my mother's womb, naked I shall return. The Lord gave, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Oh, he is good. I got hit like this. I fell apart. I lost everything. I fell apart. Not Job. Well, it doesn't stop here. The story doesn't stop. Satan and God have a discussion again. God says, huh, Satan, have you considered my servant Job? That there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil, and he still holds fast to his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him without cause. That's a God. Give the guy a break. Huh? Let him alone. Why are, you, why are you setting him up again? And Satan says, yeah, well, if we attack his body, then he'll curse you. Any, any man will give up to protect himself. Right? That's why they torture people, figuring that sooner or later they're going to give it up instead of being put through all the pain and suffering. Anyway, Jesus says, go ahead. Everything he has is in your hand, but, but spare his life. And what happens? Satan gives him boils, very painful, from the sole of his foot to the, head of his, to the crown of his head. And it says that Job took a potsherd to scrape himself while he sat in the midst of ashes. And there's one thing Satan didn't take from Job was his wife. And his wife came along and said, Do you still hold to your integrity? Curse God and die. Doesn't Satan do that too? He'll, he'll leave you something that will be a thorn in your side. In this case, it was his wife. Could be anything. But a little moral support here, a little help, a little feeling. No. Curse God and die. And listen to what Job says. You speak as one of those foolish women. Shall we indeed accept good from God, and shall we not accept adversity? In all of this, Job did not sin with his lips. I thought, man, that Job, he is a good man. But you know what? The rest of it goes on to Job. He says he didn't understand why. And he kept saying, boy, why? Why is this happening to me? His friends came, three friends. 
And when they came, they raised and looked up at him from afar, and they didn't even recognize him. That's how marred his body was. And you know what they did? They tore their clothes, and they sprinkled dust on themselves. And you know what they did? They, they sat down with him on the ground seven days and seven nights and never spoke a word. Pretty good thing to do, I think, sometimes. Don't even try to explain it, because most of the time when we try to explain why the bad things happen, we get it wrong. Just sit down. He, they sat down with him for seven days and seven nights and didn't say a word. They just were present. I think that's sometimes what we should be doing instead of trying to explain it. But anyway, Job couldn't figure it out. Well, finally, after, then Job started saying, why God, why his friends told him, well, you must have done something wrong. See, God only does these things to people who did something wrong. So you must have did something. And Job says, oh, no, no, I didn't do nothing wrong. And Job says, I understand. But uh, he says, you know, I know I'm not perfect, but I didn't do anything to deserve this, right? And his friends said, no, you must have did something wrong. And you know what? Through the whole thing, God never does answer the question as to why. Job says, please, if I could just talk to God, if I just talk to God, where's God? I'm looking for him every day. He's not there. He used to be there. Now all of a sudden he's not there. Well, finally God speaks, and God just pretty much scolds him. You remember that? For three chapters or four chapters, just scolds Job. Were you there when I laid the foundations of the world? Huh? Were you? Huh? You know, God's just going at him. I've done this. I've done that. You don't understand. Pretty much just telling Job, you don't understand. You know, I'm God. And he never answered the question why. So let's flip over to the New Testament. They don't, now they don't ask the question why anymore. They ask the question who. They don't ask why. They ask who. Jesus was passing by with some of his disciples and they saw a blind man. They said, Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents that he was born blind? See, they know why. Because somebody sinned, just like they did in the Old Testament, right? Jesus said, neither this man nor his parents sinned. That wasn't the reason. And then in Luke, Jesus was talking to some people and they were telling them about the Gentiles that Pilate had killed and about a tower of Shalom, Shalom that had fell on 18 people and killed them. And Jesus said to them, do you suppose that those Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered such things? He says, I tell you, no. And he says, and those that the tower fell on, do you think they were any worse sinners than any of the other men who were in Jerusalem? He says, I tell you, no. So he's telling them, no, that's not the reason. Why do we always think when bad things happen to us that God's doing it? I, I feel the same way. Something bad happens, I go, oh, I must, I shouldn't have done that, you know. Maybe it's our sinful nature. Maybe because we are sinful, we feel like we deserve to get punished. But the Bible says, Jesus says, it's not because of that. You're no worse than anybody else. The sun rises on the good and the bad, right? Why should bad things happen to just the bad people? So why, maybe we're asking the wrong question. Not why, God, but for what purpose? To what end? 
What? You know what I'm saying? And I, I, I kind of get an idea, you know, back in Leviticus, it, it talks, Jesus talks about, I think what Jesus does or God does is take bad things and make something good happen out of them. I don't believe God is doing these things to us. I believe it's Satan. I'll put it bluntly. But God can turn things around to make good come out of bad things. And the reason I believe this is because in Leviticus, for one, it ta- in Leviticus, Leviticus 25, it talks about the kinsman redeemer. Now, if, if, you, uh, if you, back in the Old Testament, I think he told us to the Israelites, he was trying to teach them a lesson in their culture, in their economy. He said, say one of your brethren uh, becomes poor and he sells all his possessions. He says, over, over a period of time, you can buy it back for him. But he's got to be your brethren, a brethren that buys, you, buys back the possessions. And then he goes on to say, some people even sell themselves as slaves to people. But he says over a period of time, he can be bought back, but it's got to be by a brother, a father, or an uncle, by a brethren, the brethren, kinsman redeemer. I think what Jesus was trying to teach him, or God was trying to teach him, is that he has bought us back spiritually. Remember Jesus, Adam and Eve, you know, they blew it. They sold our inheritance, did they? He bought it back. Paul calls him the second Adam. He became one of us, a brother, part of us. And he lived a perfect life, even though he had our nature. So what I'm trying to get at is the whole Bible is just full of instances where when bad things happen, God twists them around and makes good. I have to go back to the Garden of Eden. He could have gave up on Adam and Eve, just walked away, said, whoop, blew it, done. He didn't. See, we're more important to him than that. He made us for a reason, you know? And he told Satan, yeah, you may bruise my heel, but I'm going to bruise your head. I'm taking you out in the end. And look at the end of the story, the cross. Did you ever look at the symbol of the cross? We worship a cross now. used to be that was the worst symbol for, for pain and agony. People would shudder when they saw a cross. Today we sing songs to the cross. Athletes wear them crosses around their neck. I've seen very elaborate silver and gold crosses. I see crosses when I go into your home. Jesus redeemed that and made it something good out of something that was bad. Take Noah, for example. He did one little thing wrong, and he couldn't go into the promised land. Remember? I thought, God, give him a break. It was just one little thing. But God gave him something better, didn't he? Took him to heaven. (laughs) That's promised land. How about David and Beersheba? Oh, you talk about a mess. We had lust. We had adultery. We had lie, we had treachery, we had murder. What did he make good out of that? The Messiah came from that relationship. Can you imagine taking something that maybe wasn't God's intention, but but making it come out for good 
redeeming. So that's what I'm getting at. God can redeem things. So let's go back to the New Testament again. I didn't tell you the whole story when I told you when Jesus, when they saw the blind man. They said, who sinned? The man or his parents? Jesus said, neither, neither the man nor his parents sinned, but, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. See, there was a purpose that the works of God would be revealed in that blind man. And I thought, okay, yeah, he's blind. You're going to heal him. He's going to see that's going to glorify God, right? Uh, and then I was thinking, oh, there's more to it than that. He said, being blind glorifies God. How can having a physical handicap glorify God? Did you ever notice people with physical handicaps tend to have a heart? They tend to be a different person than you and I with eyesight sometimes because they have a... because they understand how it feels to hurt so they don't want to hurt others. I read a story about a young lady that was going to be an Olympic swimmer. She dove into the pool and they broke her neck. Devastated her. She was wiped out, demoralized. Some people this happens to, I know of a man I read a story about, he became a paraplegic, he tried to, he poured gas all over himself and lit himself on fire to kill himself, and he lived. So now not only is he paraplegic, but now he's burnt. But the girl, after going through a rough period of depression and everything, all of a sudden, her character changed. She started becoming a different person. She started a program to help other people like herself. She went and spoke around the country. She is a blessing to people now because of something bad that God could use to turn into something good. I, was, I go to a nursing home sometimes and I give them a service. And after one day, I usually talk to the ladies a little bit. They leave. There's one lady that sat there, so I thought, I'll go sit down and talk to her. And we talked about family and her husband and her kids. And she, had a, she told me about she had a mentally handicapped child. And, and when she talked about that child, her eyes, you could just see it. Her face lit up. She was just so happy. And, and we talked and talked. And then I, I told her about a story I, heard, I had read that, Sometimes we think when a family has a mentally handicapped child that it's, it's, it's really a hardship for the family and a curse. But I have read that that family is more blessed than those who haven't had a physically handicapped child. And I, ex- I, I mentioned that to her, and she says, you're right, you're right. She says, oh, we just adore that child. And he's still alive, she says, he's still alive. She says, we couldn't take care of him anymore. We got too old, but he's in a nursing home. And my children go visit him all the time because they just can't help but be with him. And my one daughter lives far away, and she calls every week just to speak to him. You see how God could take something bad and change it to something good? But how many of us are born spiritually defective? Every one of us, aren't we? We are all born spiritually blind. At birth, we are blind. We don't know God, do we? How did we get to know God? How did you get here today? Why are you in your pews? 
How did you come to understand God? Was your parents that brought you and taught you? A lot of you probably, that's how it was, right? That's how it was with me. And that can be good, but that can also be bad. Because sometimes what we're taught about God chases, away, chases us away from God. I remember I had a lot of friends that were Catholics when I was growing up, and they didn't want nothing to do with religion or God. I hope it was just religion. I hope it wasn't God. But they didn't want nothing to do with Catholics because of what they were taught. You know, I've met a lot of Seventh-day Adventists that used to be Seventh-day Adventists out there for the same reasons. Just recently I met a guy and he was telling me, yeah, I went to the church schools and this and that. And he was telling me about all the other people that went to the church schools and how one was a starting quarterback for Appleton. And all these people have are really become something in the community. They used to be Seventh-day Adventists, but they're not anymore. So sometimes being taught about God is good, but sometimes it can be a, a detriment to people. And it's just not Catholics or Seventh-day Adventists. I'm sure it's all the different religions. And then I know our kids sometimes, they grow up to get to the age where they can stay or go, and a lot of them go. What do we, I'm thinking we must be doing something wrong. And what are we doing wrong? You know, are we, at, are we, are we too focused on the do's and don'ts all the time that they just don't want nothing to do with us? I feel that we should really be focusing on helping them fall in love. We need to help, maybe even ourselves, fall in love with God. Focus on the relationship. Focus on what God is really like. And then the do's and the don'ts, they'll take care of themselves. Because your will will change. If you love somebody, you're going to follow them. If you don't, you're not. You know, sometimes, too, I read that the main reason people don't come to church is because of conflicts. That's true. A lot of times people don't come because they don't... They avoid, I, I'm an avoider. I'll, I'll be honest. I don't want conflict. I think sometimes we, we do. We, you know, the Sabbath is the day. I come here... I come to church out of hope. I hope to hear the voice of God speak to me. That's why I come. And sometimes people interfere with that. You know, if you, you know, we're pretty good at keeping the Sabbath, aren't we? You know, don't do this, don't do that. How about we give each other a break on the Sabbath? Let us come and just listen for the voice of God. You know what I'm saying? Then sometimes, too, I, I see that a lot of times the people that we should be offering redemption to are the ones that we chase away. You know, there's some people that, oh, well, you know, they, they don't do this and they don't do that. Should we really offer to help them? Oh, my goodness, those are the people we should all be offering to help. You know what I'm saying? You know, Jesus, maybe the things that they just did, even though they were bad things, maybe that's a... a 
something that God allowed to happen for a purpose, like I just said, that it may be redeemed. You know, do you want to be part of the process? You know, God's purpose is to redeem. Do you want to be part of the process? I do. So I don't think we should focus on that. And, and sometimes we condemn people, we judge them. Uh, hey, come on, think about it. We all got our issues, don't we? we don't we all want to be something more than what we are? I do. I feel bad because I can't be as good as I want to be. Don't we all feel like that? So why are we judging somebody else? Without, and, and, and how can we do that when we understand we have our own issues? We judge, we condemn, we shun when we don't redeem. And in the process, we don't realize that we may need redeeming ourselves. You know, there, there's actually a lot of Christians out there, but they're just not affiliated with the church, I believe. I believe there's a lot of people out there that believe in God, but they just don't buy into everything that we're selling. I don't know, I'm not saying it may be doctrines. It may be our view of what, who God is and what he's like. They don't buy it. You know, I remember reading a lot of Civil War stuff, and there was a story about Abraham Lincoln that a lot of people didn't know if he believed in God or not because he never joined a church. But the man, you know, as I studied and studied, this guy really studied scripture. And it seemed like he, he had the heart of God. He, he reminds me of Jesus Christ more than any other figure in history. The guy was just malice towards none. Would never, never say a bad thing about anybody, it seemed like. Always took all their punishment and bad words and just didn't, didn't even bother them. But you know what I found out? Abraham Lincoln said this. He, says, he told a friend, he says, I don't believe in eternal punishment. He didn't believe in hell. See? And he says, there's no justice in that. He, says, he just didn't buy that. Now, when did this occur in the 1840s, 1850s, 1860s? Isn't this when the Great Awakening was happening? When we finally come to the conclusion that Abraham Lincoln was right? There is no hell. So he was ahead of his time. How about, uh, they had seances too back then. That's when all the spiritual, spiritual things started happening. Remember we hear them stories about the Fox sisters that uh, Mrs. White, I think, talks about it. But Mary Lincoln lost children, and she was so devastated, she started to have seances in the White House. And she wanted Abraham Lincoln to participate, and he did at one, and he didn't want nothing to do with it after that. He didn't buy into it. So... I'm saying there's people out there that are Christians. They may not just be sitting in that pew. And I consider life a spiritual journey. We're all born blind. We don't know God at all. Some of you learn God by your parents. There's people out there that don't know God even exists, and he's trying to get through to them right now by events that are happening in their life. And I'm hoping that some somewhere, somehow, they will run into somebody that attracts them to God. Maybe it's you. Maybe the love of God just shines on your face and they'll be drawn to you. And then they will find out about God through you. But now if, uh, if you're the kind of Christian that when you walk down the street, they cross to the other side, 
I don't think that's the kind of glory to God that we're looking for. You know what I'm saying? You know, there's something in our lives that even if you don't know there's a God, we're just not comfortable in our own skins, are we? There seems like to be always something missing, isn't there? I had that feeling. I'm sure you had that feeling. Everybody out there has that feeling because we were created by God. And we were created with a spiritual nature. And when we don't have it, God gets through to them one way or the other. In the end, they'll, they'll be convicted there is a God. I know everyone will. God would not let them not understand that. And there'll be no pole sitters in the end. You'll either be with them or you won't. So another illustration I talked to you about was uh, when the Galileans were killed and the tower fell on the people. You know what Jesus said? Do you think they were any worse than any other sinners? He says, no, but I tell you what, unless you repent, you will also perish. So what purpose was it, he said? So that you may repent or you will also perish. Sometimes calamities happen, don't they? God's, it, may, it may not be God's intention, but hey, we're all going to die sooner or later. Have you ever gone to a funeral? I've been to quite a few this last uh, few months. And boy, yeah, I don't like funerals, but they sure wake you up to what's really important. You know, we get so, so caught up into life and this and that that we forget that what happens in the end. You're dead. Repent. We had some towers fall, remember, 10 years ago. What happened? People really started looking for God, didn't they? It was a great awakening, right? Then what happened? Gone. So sometimes, I guess, these shock factors come in handy, don't they? But what does it mean to repent? I kind of got an uh, issue with repent. You know, I'm only, I see those fire and brimstone preachers, repent, repent. Meaning, I got to do everything perfectly right, and then I'm okay, right? I can't do everything perfectly right. So how? And that's what was my stumbling block a lot. You know, I read out of the Bible, Jesus said this, that they may turn to me. And I said, that's it. That's repentance. You know, in the end, repentance may be being perfect, but in the beginning, it's just turning to God. Just turn. He says, turn to me. So it may come a point in your life that you say, God, I don't know if you're the real thing or not, but okay, I'm going to give it a shot. I'm going to give it a shot, God. I'm going to follow you. I don't know where we're going. Just, just show me. And that's the start of faith. Will you love them right away? Probably not, because you don't know them. But once you get to know them, I guarantee you, you're going to fall in love with them. And I mean, don't listen to what people tell you about God sometimes, because uh, what they're telling you isn't the truth. You've got to know God for yourself. Last of all, I wanted to tell you about Lazarus. Remember him? Lazarus, Mary, Martha, Jesus loved them a lot. Spent time at their home. 
Jesus was with his disciples when uh, he got a message from Mary and Martha. said, Jesus, come soon because uh, Lazarus is sick. The Bible says that the one whom you love is sick. And Jesus, let me see if I can find it quick. I'd like to read what Jesus said. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days where he was. What? He loved him, so he waited? And not only did he wait, but he waited till he died? I thought he loved him. How about Job? Job was looking for God. God was nowhere to be found. Same thing. God loved Job very much. But waited. Waited till he died. Probably. How many of you are waiting for God? Maybe it's a good thing you're waiting for God. He's allowing you to die so that you could finally live. It's not pleasant to die. You know what he told his disciples? Finally, he told his disciples, Lazarus is dead, because they kept thinking he was sleeping. Remember? You know what Jesus said? I am glad for your sakes that I was not there. He says, I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there. That you may believe. See, they were with Jesus all the time, but they still didn't get the big picture. And then Martha and Mary, when Jesus got there, Martha ran out to meet him and said, Jesus, where were you? If you would have been here, he wouldn't have died. And then Mary came, said the same thing, Jesus, where were you? If you were here, he wouldn't have died. Jesus wept because they just didn't get it. How many of us are waiting for God? You know, I died. I died. I, w- I did a lot of bad things. I got wiped out. I destroyed myself. I didn't care about life anymore. My wife had to haul me away three times at Theodore Clark or I would have died. That wasn't the end of it. They stuck me in a facility. I got out and tried and tried. Fought and fought. Question God, where are you? I'm trying. Fighting. It seems like you're fighting with every ounce of energy, every fiber in your body, and you wake up and you go, God, where are you? When is this going to release me? And one day God reveals himself to you. He spoke to me. I'm not going to tell you what he said, but it doesn't mean anything to you, but it means something to me. And then another time when I gave up, I just said, forget it. And God said, spoke to me again. And it really meant a lot to me. It helped me go again. And then some events happened in my life when I was ready to do myself in that helped me get by again. And slowly, I got to fall in love. I fell heads over heels in love. And I'm so glad all those bad things happened because I wouldn't have experienced where I am now if it wasn't for that. And maybe that's why Job went through this. Maybe God says, I got something better for you, Job, even though you don't know yet. How do you get an experience like that? You know, it's hard, you know, it's hard to explain an experience that you've had. You can't explain it. 
You can't put it into words. I try so hard, but I... You've got to experience for yourself. I remember I talked to a guy who came to church one day, brought his kids, and I was talking about in the foyer, and he told me his child was up in Theodore Clark. I said, I've been there. He says, yeah, me too. I said, yeah, I got through it, though. I said, God spoke to me. He said, yeah, God spoke to me, too. I said, isn't that cool? He says, yeah. But he said, why doesn't he speak more often? <laughs> <laughs> I thought of that. I said, yeah. But you know what? In his silence, God speaks to us more than he could by literally standing in front of us. You, do you get what I'm saying? He, why does he speak to us more through his silence? Because when we notice that he's not there, we're looking we're yearning for him. And you know what? The, he's right there all the time. We just don't realize it. And that's what that verse was all about that we read at the beginning. He has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth. And he has determined their pre-appointed times and boundaries of their dwellings. He chose you to be born at this time, to live at this time, to be in Wisconsin, in Nina, at this time, so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him. How many of us are groping for him? Though he is not far from any one of us. He is right there. So I want to tell you this. The next time you feel that God isn't there, Open your eyes. Open the eyes of your heart. Life is a spiritual journey. God is trying to get through to us by events in our lives. And that's what I wanted to bring up also, is to be aware of what's happening to yourself. At the end of the day, you may not realize it during the day because you're busy, but at the end of the day when you're saying your prayers, reflect on what happened today, and you will see God in ways that you've never had before. You know, I was telling you about a story that some people out there don't even know God exists. I read a lot of different books. I read this one the I uh, read, uh, read a lot of this uh, one author because I loved his writings, and I ran out of books to read. So then what I, I, I looked to see people he quoted in his book, and I thought, oh, this guy, is, his quotes were pretty good. So I went and got some of his books. He's a, he's a theologian, or not a theologian, he's a minister, a Presbyterian minister. I got one of his books, the first one I read, I read three quarters of the way through the book, and the guy never said one thing about God. I thought, I thought this guy was religious. You know, I just about gave up on the book. I thought, where is he going with this? All he did was talk about his childhood, how his father committed suicide. They didn't, they didn't even believe in God. They didn't worship God. Well, anyway, he became a writer, went to college. One day, he, he was having writer's block, and he decided to go to a church. And there was a, a minister preaching there that he heard was a pretty good speaker. So he went because he's bored. He sat in the pews. And the minister said something to him that, that touched him. He, 
He went home and he thought about it. He finally realized there was a God. And that God had been leading him through the events of his life that that whole book was, had been talking about and had brought him to that point where he walked in, sat down in a pew, and heard something that that man said, and he, that's it. So you know what he did? He went back to that preacher the next day, and he says, I think God spoke to me. What do I do? The preacher says, come with me. Took him out to his car, drove him down to a theological seminary, and told him to go inside. The guy went inside. The Rockefellers in New York at that time paid for the first year of schooling for anybody that thought that the ministry might be what they needed. They paid the first year, the Rockefellers. But if you didn't want to keep going, you didn't owe a penny. But if you decided to keep going, you had to pay the rest of your way through. So the man took him up on the offer. He became a minister, and he writes such beautiful things that I am so glad he is a minister. And he never knew a God existed. You see what I'm saying? And sometimes you go through hell in life, and you question what's happening in your life. And he, later in life, had children that were growing up. One became an anorexic. She wouldn't eat. He tried everything to get her to eat. She would not eat. She was going to die. He pulled over to the side of the road one day, and he just, just pulled off to the side of the road, cupped his head in his hands, and just said, Why, God? Why? He looked up. A car was driving by. And on the license plate, it said, Trust. He says, okay, God, I'll trust you. Everything turned out all right. You see what I'm saying about events in your life? That guy that owned that car found out later this man wrote a story about it. The man read it. He was a financial planner. He had trust on his license plate. It had nothing to do with God. <laughs> but, to that person, God passed that car by at a crucial moment in his life. Did you ever have something happen to you that you can't explain? Did you ever have a dream and then one day you did what you did in that dream? Did you ever think of somebody that you haven't thought of for a long, long time and all of a sudden you get a call from that person? It's like God's out there saying... There is more to life than you know. And sometimes we may not know why we go through tough situations. We may not know the reason why. But I believe in the end, God makes a good thing happen out of it. Job didn't know the reason why. But God finally did speak to him. And God never did tell him the answer to his question. But you know what Job did learn? Job says to God, I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Have you heard about God, but have you not seen him? You know, in the end, Job was restored. He got double everything. He had 7,000 sheep. He got 14,000 sheep. He got... 
all his kids back. He got everything back. But you know what? I think he would have threw them all in just for that experience of God. That's the ultimate, people, experiencing God. Bad things happen. God can make good out of bad. Ultimately, experiencing God is the greatest gift he can give you. That's what I'm trying to get through to you today. He says, how do you get that experience, one last thing? How do you get that experience? It's so simple, it's sickening. You ask. You ask like a child expecting an answer. Ask. Jesus says to those who ask, if I can find my verses, So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receive. And he who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. Remember, he says, man, if a son son asks his father for a piece of bread, would he give him a stone? Or if he asked for a fish, would he give him a serpent instead? No, God wants to give you this. And then Revelation 3, he says, here I am. Exclamation point. Sometimes he does that. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Ask. Do you want it? Do you want it? Ask. Dear Heavenly Father, I'm I'm so grateful for a God that can take the worst things that can be thrown at us and change them into something good. If, we're, if we would only be aware of it. And I pray for all those people out there right now that don't even know you, that you are leading to come. That you will bless them, that you will open their eyes, that they may see you. And we ask that somehow you can use us to help them see you. Grant us your love and help us to pass it on to those around us. I pray this in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.